Well, hello, great to be able to come and continue on this mini-series that we've been doing on prayer as a, as a part of our 21 days of prayer, this period that we're in as a church. Uh, and so it's great to be able to do that. I've always found prayer quite a fascinating subject because you observe that both Christians and non-Christians seem to pray, or at least have an element of, of wanting to pray. I could think of loads of examples, but one that definitely stands out to me is in 2021, uh, the European football championships postponed from 2020 because of COVID. Christian Eriksen, a Danish footballer, literally collapses on the pitch. It was quite a harrowing scene. We now know it was a cardiac arrest, but it, at one point it wasn't sure, you know, is he, is he breathing, is he alive? And lots of people, social media was flooded, you know, hashtag pray for Ericsson. And you see that in lots of these kind of things that happen. People will say, pray for this, pray for that. Even those that aren't believers, you have news reporters or influencers or whatever, we should pray for this, pray for that. And so we have this kind of relationship with prayer. Tear Funder, a charity, uh, in kind of one of their sentences they'd done, said that 51% of adults pray, uh, usually in crisis or to give thanks. And that 38% of 18 to 24 year olds pray at least monthly. And sometimes you sort of think, well, 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 why? Because not all of those are Christian or have faith. So, so why is that? I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons, but I think part of it is because people are just hoping and longing for some sort of uh, higher power, something beyond themselves. They are in crisis. People are just aware of their own limitations. There is nothing I can do about this. Or when something, they're just full of kind of immense gratitude. I think I just have to thank someone because of it. I can't believe how grateful I am that this is happening. And so today, what I want us to do is read this passage in Mark 9, the Gospel of Mark that deals with some of these themes about prayer and faith and doubt and belief. And it ties all these up together. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it to Mark 9? We're going to just look at um, a few verses from verse 14 together and just explore these themes and, and see what we can draw out. I'm going to read from Mark, uh, verse 14, chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes were arguing with them. Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him. This is Jesus they're talking about. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you for he's a spirit. It makes him mute and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams and grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. And so I've asked your disciples to come and cast it out, but they're not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it's often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. 
And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose. And when he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of God. This is really a, a story of a dad who is in a desperate situation. His son is, uh, you see, he's, he's possessed and he's having these massive ramifications for their whole lives. And so he, he tries to get, he obviously wanted Jesus to cast him out. He can't find Jesus. And so he gets to the, the Jesus' disciples instead. We read in Mark 6, actually, that Jesus had given his disciples authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And, and, and so it's unsurprising. But you can just imagine the, the, the scene that's going on. It, it's kind of pandemonium. There is, um, it, it tells us in the first few verses that there's religious bodies around, there's leaders and there's, there's the scribes are there. There's a, there's a crowd gathering. And the disciples are, are trying to do it, but they're struggling. Uh, and you can imagine that this, it would have been getting busier and busier. I can't imagine a scene like Covent Garden when you go in the street performers and a few begin to gather and more and more and more. Uh, this was a situation where the family would have been distressed and frustrated and concerned. Uh, and all of this is in a public arena. This is not in a side room of a church or in a private home or in a hospital room. This is happening in front of everybody. And the disciples can't seem to uh, find a solution or to, to kind of cast this uh, demon out. And then it tells us that Jesus rocks up, verse 17, 18. Jesus arrives and the, the man is relieved. <laughs> because, I mean, any, any parent can relate. A child going through that, he's like, I, I just want him to be free. I, ca I can't cope with seeing my son continue to go through these things. And, and, and as you read the passage, you, you see that one of the key themes is, is about faith and about doubt. Because one of the first things that Jesus does when, when he arrives, and he, he kind of, he, he, he makes some inquiries, what's going on? And then in verse 19, he literally, he, said, he hears that they couldn't do it. He says, oh, you faithless generation. Come on. How long must I be with you? How, long, how many times must I tell you? Where's your faith? And so Jesus begins straight away by kind of rebuking the crowd. And so what I want us to do today in, in, in this kind of time that we got is just look at two of the, the kind of characters in the story. I want us to look at the dad and I want us to look at the disciples and see the lessons that I think we learn from both. And, and, and I think there is a, a lot of lessons for, for all of us to look. And so the first thing is the dad. One of the things that the dad says to Jesus uh, quite early on after he tells him what, what happens with his son is, is, is he comes and, and, and you see it in, in the verse, he says, if you can, uh, you know, if, if you can, please have compassion on us. And Jesus gives this kind of mild rebuke in a way in his response. He's like, he's like if I can, all things are possible for those who believe. Je Jesus is in some ways challenging him. And I think all of us can relate with a dad. Because how many times have we come to God in prayer and we begin with, oh Lord, if it's your will that you would do this, Oh Lord, if you can, I would love you to, to do this and can you break through in this area? But if, if it doesn't happen, that's okay. We, we kind of crouch it in and around these things. In fact, it reminds me of, um, I've got a daughter, she's three and a half and she's poor patrol mad. 
Uh, and so most days uh, she comes with her requests. And, and let me tell you, she doesn't come to me and say, Daddy, if it's your will, would we, would we just be able to maybe watch a little bit of Paw Patrol, uh, if you can do that? No, of course she doesn't do that. She comes and says, Daddy, I want to watch Paw Patrol. And she's persistent in her requests, you know, and eventually I, I usually just cave. But she comes and she tells me exactly what she wants. On a weekend, we often go down the park. She doesn't come up to me and say, Honey, if, it, if it's okay with you, if it fits in with the plans of the day and the schedule, and if it, would we be able to go down the park? Oh, I'd really like that, but if we can't, that's fine. No, she doesn't. She just comes both. I want to go to the park. Can we go to the park? And, and I think there's something for us to learn in that. There's a childlikeness that, that I think all of us can learn in, that we can come and we can... Uh, Jesus, in fact, Jesus' response to the man encourages all things are possible for those who believe. Now, of course, as, as believers, we surrender to the will of God in our lives. All things are under his will and he is sovereign. But he also, he wants us to come boldly, full of faith, make our request known to the Lord, the scripture says knowing that he's the one with which all things are possible. And so there's an encouragement. Let's be a people when we pray. Come, make our request known. Boldly that the Lord will answer our prayers. And so we see that for the dad. He, must, he, he does it. And his response is, is fascinating. Because when Jesus says that to him, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. What the dad is saying there is he's recognising, I've got some faith, but I really want more. I, I believe, but I want to believe more. I, I, I kind of, I, I want more faith. I want greater faith. I, I, I want to believe more of the things that you can do. I, I do believe it, I do, but oh God, give me more. That's what he's saying to Jesus there. I, I know who you are, I've seen it, but I want more. Again, I, th I think we can relate with that. I think lots of us actually, Christian or non-Christian, have that sense. Maybe you've been a Christian years, but you have a sense of God, I, I believe I've got faith, but I want more. Help me in my unbelief, where I doubt, where I get concerns, where I, I kind of waver. Oh God, help me in my unbelief. Many of us will resonate with that when we're, if we're a Christian, but also if we're, maybe you're an unbeliever listening, I think we can resonate with this idea of, I, I have, I kind of believe in something. I believe that, that, that there must be some sort of higher power. There must be more than this. Sometimes we ask that question, there must be more to, I believe there must be more to life than this, than this kind of narrative of just, let's just go to school, get educated, um, get a job, make as much money as you can, so you can get a nice house, go on holidays, get a good pension and then die. Is that it? Just this random accident, we're all here, two atoms collide, and this is all this random chance, and, and this, this connection that we have, this intellect that we have as humans, but there's no purpose to it, there's no, we're just here to, to live and then die. Surely there must be more. It's the questions that I used to ask myself in my own story. Surely there must be more to life than just living for the weekend and trying to accumulate stuff. There, there must be more. We have some belief in no, but 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 but, we, but our thing is, I want to believe more. I want to know more. I want more faith. You know, it's fascinating because Jesus is is once asked a question about how much faith must someone have to be saved. I've only got a little bit of faith, you know. And Jesus responds that he uses this illustration about a mustard seed. So you need a mustard seed of faith. The, the mustard seed is like the, the tiniest seed that you can get. You need a mustard seed amount of faith. And the point that Jesus is making there, friends, is that it isn't about the amount of faith that we have, but it's about the object of faith. It's about the fact that we have faith in the first place. 
you go through times where you might doubt, you might have concerns, but it's like, but what is, who and what is your faith in? Because your reality is this, all of us put our faith in something. Your faith, you know, whether, some of us will put our faith in God, that he is who he says he is. But some of us put our faith in atheism, in a belief that no, there, there, there's no God. That's a, that's a faith that you have. Some of us put our faith in karma or good works. So if I just earn my way into God, or if what goes around comes around, kind of uh, some of these ideas. But we, we all have a faith in something. What's the object of your faith? I said my own story was realizing actually that the only thing, the only thing that we can really put our faith on is the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says came to live for us, to die for us, to, to rose again, that we would have peace with God. He came into our lives that we would live life in all its fullness, he said, that we would have purpose and identity and that we would be saved from sin and from death and, and that we would have eternal life with him, with peace with God. This is what I believe. And that's, that's the faith that we build our lives on. And Jesus says, you, ju you just need a mustard seed of faith. You, sometimes you might have doubts, you might have concerns, you might have frustrations, but it begins with just a small step of faith. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe there's more to life than what the world wants to tell us now. Will you dare to believe in Jesus? Would you dare to believe? I want to take that step of faith. And when you do, like the dad in this story, it can begin to grow and grow and grow. Our faith grows, we go into this journey of faith. We, we, we don't start at the, at the finish line, but we go on this journey of growing, growing, growing. We keep saying, Lord, I've got doubts, but help me in my unbelief, because I know that you're there. And so I think we learn a lot from this dad on his journey of faith, and we resonate with it. Well, the other people that I, I, I want to look at is the disciples. The disciples get a lot of stick in, in the Bible because they always seem to get things wrong. It's why I quite like them. I think we all relate with, with the disciples because after everything has died down, the crowds have gone, they, they find themselves in a private home at the end of the passage, it says, and they, they pull Jesus to the side. Say, Jesus, they're perplexed. They're confused. See, how, how, how did this happen? Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus makes it clear to them in, it was basically the insufficient prayer. <laughs> they, 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 either they didn't pray enough or they didn't pray, or just kind of their, their, their state they were in. And you can read that and think, oh, what, how could they have not prayed? Of course they should have prayed. And we could scoff and laugh at them, oh, those disciples, but we have to be very careful because I think all of us actually uh, can be guilty at times. How often are we so slow to go to things to God in prayer? How often do we first try to solve it with our own intellect and our own, uh, we'll try this and we'll try this and we'll try that and, and we try everything within our own means first and then we go to God in prayer. We can so, we, we can so quickly be like that. We can just be like the disciples. We, we try everything else other than prayer. Prayer could be a last resort sometimes. And so there's a, there's a lesson in that straight away for us. Going, let's not be like that. Let's be those who we come to God quickly in prayer in situations. But again, I want to look at the question, why? Why didn't they pray? And I think there's three things you see in the text here of reasons they didn't pray. The first, I think, you see right in the beginning, verse 14, 15, I think they were just distracted. 
This was a crazy scene that says there's crowds, there's scribes, religious leaders arguing with them. You can imagine them. Cool, what are you doing that for? Oh, I wouldn't do it like that. Oh, is he still not cast out? What are you doing? You've got no authority here. You can imagine the comments that they're getting. You can imagine that there was just people screaming, crowds gathering, lots going on. They're desperate. I think they just got distracted. They just, let's just try and get this demon out. We just want to get it done. And just in the pandemonium of it all, they let just distraction and the noise of everything going around sever their connection with God. And I think the same is true for us. So often, just the noise of the outside world of work and just stress and life and pressure, uh, but also just social you know, devices. I don't want to, you know, preachers always bashing devices, but it's true. We can be so distracted. We spend, fill our time with so many other things that we, we never get time just to pray and be with the Lord. We, never get, we lose that connection, that daily connection just with God because we're letting everything else take priority. We can become distracted. But the other thing I'll say about distracted is I've got uh, some, obviously I know quite a lot of non-believers. Me and Sylvia actually in the summer were chatting with someone we know who's not a Christian and Sylvia was just asking him the question, what, do you believe in anything? And she was um, you know, quite full fright with it and, and, and um, the person came back to us and was like, oh, I kind of... I believe in something. Have you ever explored that? It's like, no, nah, not really. And basically, what you got is that I think deep down they know there's something more, but they just distract themselves with life. It's like escapism. It's, you just work, life, drink, this, that, social life. They just choose not to think about it. If I don't have to, if I don't, if I don't think about it, I haven't got to confront the fact that actually I don't think there's much to life. Some of us just distract ourselves, but when we really sit down and think about life, about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, why we're here, what we're here to do, we begin to realise actually the story that I've been sold doesn't add up. But I'll just distract myself. Sometimes I've got to think about these things. Let's not ourselves get distracted. The second thing is discouragement. The disciples, man, they would. Desperate to see this boy set free, probably to impress Jesus. <laughs> Jesus sent them out, I want to do a good job. We're, we're representing Jesus. I don't want to let him down. But you notice that they, I think they probably just got discouraged as time and time goes on. This boy's not being set free. You can imagine they're just thinking, it's not working, looking at each other. Do you want to have a go? I don't know. What should we do? All of us have faced discouragement when we've been bringing things to God in prayer daily for weeks, for months, and we're not seeing an answer. Friends, discouragement is the language of the devil. Don't let it rob you of your faith in believing for God for things in prayer. It's a brilliant story that's quite well known about an American evangelist, D.L. Moody, who uh, famously wrote down a hundred people of his friends, non-believers, that he prayed for daily. I think, well, I mean, that's a challenge in itself, praying for a hundred people daily. He says, before he died, 96 of them came to faith. And the remaining four were saved at his funeral. I mean, that is some legacy, some testimony, and also an encouragement about persistence in prayer. In fact, if I was to, if we were to say today, you know what, God was here and he says, I'm going to guarantee you anything you ask for right now in prayer, I'm going to grant. What would you do? I know I'd do, I fall to my knees, God, let West Ham win the league, David Moyes. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd pray for revival in the church. <laughs> um, but what, what would you pray? I'm sure you would quickly get to your knees and pray. What if God said, I want you to pray for 365 days a year, day and night. And if you do that, I guarantee you, whatever you want, that will come to pass. I think a lot of us would do it. The problem is, is that none of us know the times or the hours. 
None of us know just how long, but there's an encouragement to be persistent in prayer and not to let discouragement seep in and rob us of our faith. So that's the second thing we see is discouragement. The third thing I think we see is that they are, in many ways, just become dependent. So often, that you know, just relying on their own strength, their own strategy, their own ideas, their own way of doing it, let's just do it like this, forgetting, oh no, we need God. We can't do this by ourselves. And I think we are so guilty of that as a, as a, as a, as a nation, actually. So many people, we, we just, in an age of AI and technological advancement and intellect and such need and comfort everywhere we are. We, Andrew spoke about that last week in a fast and we have such comfort around us. Sometimes we just, I don't need God. We just get on with our lives. We forget about how much we need him. And when there's a crisis, then we call out to the Lord. We must be a people that humble ourselves now. We daily need the Lord. We daily need God. Let's not become just independent people. I'll call on God when I need him. No, we, we must be in relationship with God and dependent upon him to sustain us through. Let's not become those that are just dependent, like I think you see in the disciples here. Because what Jesus says to them in response, I love what Jesus says when they say, why didn't this happen? Jesus, in fact, I read the ESV, but I love the way it says it in the NIV because it, it uses this phrase, it says, only by prayer. Um, these things that you, you want to achieve, this thing that you wanted to see happen, this can only be done by prayer. There's no other way that this is going to be done. But that line does confuse me because when you read verse 25, it appears that Jesus himself actually doesn't pray. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus says, and when Jesus saw a crowd come running, he says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Now, maybe that was just, uh, Mark's not giving us the kind of, you know, he's a bit of a snapshot. Maybe, no, of course Jesus prayed and Mark's just, you know, not giving us that part of it. But, but maybe, maybe he didn't. And, and if he didn't, I think there's a bigger story. I, I think part of it is that Jesus lived a life of prayer. Jesus had such deep wells. He was always praying with the Father. Read the Gospels that he, he, he relied on God for prayer. But it meant that when the battle came, he was battle ready. When the evil came, he was ready, his tools were sharp because he'd been in training. He's always in prayer, he's always in training, he's ready to go. Something comes, I'm ready to go because I'm just in a constant state of prayer. Well, maybe the disciples had become weak, had become passive, had become distant in their prayer life. Because Jesus never, you know, Jesus was tempted in the way that we were, but he, he never entered prayerlessness. Jesus never allowed distractions to rob him of prayer. He would withdraw from crowds to go and pray in desolate places on his own. He would never allow discouragement to stop him from praying and seeking God. You ever thought about this? Uh, there's moments where Jesus is praying and things don't happen. I'll talk about the Garden of Gethsemane in a moment, but even when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, God, take this cup from me. But Jesus ends up drinking that cup on the cross. He still continues to pray for the Father. Father, forgive them for what they do. Jesus knows what it was like to have prayer unanswered. Think about how many times Jesus prayed for his disciples and they continually muck up and make mistakes. He doesn't get discouraged, he continues to pray for them. Jesus in John 17 pleads on, on their behalf. He says, God, make my church, my people one as you and I are one. Friends, the global church of Christ is not one. We don't have that unity in the way that the Father and Christ do. That's an unanswered prayer of Christ that he's still interceding for. He's still now interceding, praying in the heavens that we would be one. He doesn't let uh, unanswered prayer discourage him. He continues on in prayer. And he certainly wasn't dependent. 
Jesus knew that all that he did was out of relationship. He wanted to be in connection with his father. Jesus didn't just come to the father to pray, to get things done, casting out a demon, healing people. He just came also to be in relationship with his father, that they would be one. Reminds me of a good friend of mine, John Montrose, is at Downham site. He's, he, I've always really admired him in prayer. And so I used to ask him, John, talk to me about prayer. And he would always say to me, prayer is just, it's relationship. It's relationship that we're invited into. You know, there's some breakthroughs that we will not see without prayer. There's some things that will not change and shift without prayer. But there's also a relationship with the Father that we will not grow in and developing in our understanding of who God is without prayer. We must humble ourselves and come as a prayerful people. And to finish, I want to say this. Jesus gives us the greatest example of this when he goes to battle in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that I just mentioned. The night before Jesus is going to be trialled unfairly, scorned, mocked, beaten, stripped, killed, crucified. He goes to the garden and he prays and he takes his, some of his disciples with him. They fail in their prayer mission. He says, can you pray with me? They fall asleep. We've all been there. He says, he says in Matthew, he says, you couldn't even watch one hour and pray. But Jesus goes away and he prays and he labours in prayer and he pushes in in prayer because he knows there's a battle that he's got to face. And the battle that he's going to face and the battle that he's going to win by praying is the battle over sin and death and the power it has over us. Jesus knows he's going to give himself as a, as a sacrifice. He's going to, uh, though he was perfect and without sin, he's going to take on the punishment of, for all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing that you and I might have peace with God. We have no right to have peace with God. He's so holy and blameless and we're not. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to take their punishment. I'm going to deal with their sin. I'm going to deal with it all on the cross that they may have peace with my father that they may know God and life in all its fullness. I'm going to make a way for them to have a connection with him. That's what he's done for us. And he won that battle for us in prayer. He pleaded with the Father, Lord. He pleaded with me and he wins and he comes through and he achieved what he did and he died and he rose again. And he did it that we might be free. Friends, in the same way in Mark 9, that Jesus wanted to set this little boy free, that he may live life in all its fullness, he wants to set you and I free, free from the power of sin and the devil and of death. And also to set us free that we may live life in all its fullness, full of grace, full of truth, in the way that it should be lived. So that as Jesus says, that whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have eternal life. Will you believe in the Lord? Will you follow him? Will you line yourself with him and be, a, and be a people who pray and walk and have a relationship with Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this model that you've given us in prayer. I thank you, Lord, that you've, you've shown us how to do it. And I thank you, Lord, that you meet us wherever we're at in our belief. And I want to pray for all of us, Lord. Maybe we, we're struggling with our faith. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Give us more faith. Lord, give us more passion. Lord, fuel our lives that we may want more relationship with you to pray with you. Help us in our prayer life. Lord, and help us in our faith life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.